are in the middle of a series about showing compassion to others. And last week we saw kind of a starting point, like our motivation. We look at Jesus and we see that he basically saw in every person the image of God. When he looked at a person who was downtrodden or society wanted to, to discard or to overlook, Jesus saw someone of immeasurable worth, value, made in the image of God, and so he treated them differently. I don't always do that when I see someone. I make judgments. I'm too busy sometimes to notice them. I'm cynical at times, and so uh, my prayer has been, we, we talked about this last week, God, help me to see people the way that you see people. Help me to actually see them the way that you do. And uh, so, again, compassion starts with our hearts, with seeing people the way God does. This week, I want to talk about how does Jesus, from that heart of compassion, how does he live this out? How does he actually then demonstrate compassion? Um, there are a number of times in the Gospels when someone comes to Jesus and they have a sickness, an affliction, they're, they're a tragedy of some kind. And sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's a whole crowd of people who are desperate for something. And there's this refrain several times in the Gospels where it says, Jesus, moved with compassion, would then respond and in some way try to help. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to get there in just a couple minutes and kind of mostly focus on that. And I think as, as Lisa alluded to, we're going to celebrate communion here at the end of our time. And so I'll talk about that uh, when we get there. Compassion, uh, the word literally means to suffer together. Uh, it's more than sympathy. It's more than empathy. Uh, sympathy being to, to have pity or sorrow for someone else's misfortune. It's more than that. It's more than empathy, which is to, to understand or to enter into someone else's feelings. I think compassion starts there with some of those feelings. But compassion is when you actually go beyond sympathy. You go beyond empathy and to actually do something to try and help, to do something about. And even if there's a situation where there's not much you can do, a, a compassionate response could also be to join someone in their suffering. Jesus moved with compassion to some kind of a response, to some kind of action that he wouldn't have had or done otherwise. Of course, by this definition, um, we can show compassion to, you know, for example, to people that we know and love. Sometimes we think of it as just out there or, or caring for the poor. Um, it could be showing up for a friend or a coworker who's going through an illness or a loss. It could be helping a, a family member get back on their feet financially. Compassion could be caring for an aging parent. Some of you are in that stage. And you know how the patience and, and sometimes the, the sacrifice that that requires. And again, it could be for the, the homeless person apparently on the street. Uh, maybe you financially support a local organization that's serving the poor, the vulnerable. That's compassion as well. Uh, even at a, at a bit of a distance, or sponsoring a child, or our neighbors in a more symbolic sense. Jesus taught that the, most, the two most important things in the world, and we all know this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. What's interesting when Jesus says this is that both of these commandments, love God and love your neighbor, were actually found in several places in the Old Testament. It was just that for them, loving God was like over here and loving people was viewed as over here. They were viewed as two different things. Affirm, both of them, but, but separately. Prior to Jesus, they were never combined. Jesus combines them. He ties them together. He says, if you love God with your heart, mind, and soul, then by definition, you're going to love your neighbor. You can't separate the two. In fact, John in 1 John 3 goes so far as to say, if you see someone in need, a neighbor, a brother, a sister, and you don't respond, you don't open your heart to them, meaning show compassion, demonstrate compassion, John says this, how can the love of God be in that person? How can you say you love God? Jesus, in his most famous teaching on compassion, does anybody know what it is, by the way? It's a parable. The good Samaritan. Yeah, well, most of us know that. He actually tells the parable. Someone comes to him, a teacher, a lawyer in like the religious law, and he says, Jesus, I agree with your number one and your number two. I can actually get on board with that. My question for you is, okay, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into this whole parable. We're not going to get into it today, but just a brief summary of the Good Samaritan where a man is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the way, he falls into the hands of robbers, and he's beaten senseless, and he's robbed, and he's left half dead, naked on the side of the road. And Jesus tells this story. A, a priest comes by, a Levite comes by, and they're basically like, I've got other places to be. i got to get ready for church, uh, essentially. Or I don't want to be bothered. The third guy, a Samaritan, shows up who's an outcast in the society, a second-class citizen. And Jesus says the Samaritan binds his wounds. He helps him up. He puts him on his horse or donkey, takes him to an inn. He pays money to make sure the man can continue to recover. And then Jesus asks the question to the lawyer. Which of these man, which of these people acted like a neighbor to this man? And the lawyer's like, Samaritan. <laughs> and Jesus is like, can, you say, can I get that again? <laughs> yeah. A little, yeah a little, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed compassion. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. He essentially redefines neighbor. According to Jesus, my neighbor is anyone in my path who's in need. Now, I say all that to say, Jesus doesn't just talk about compassion and mercy. He's actually moved to put it in action. Um, and, and so I want to look at a story in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho... A large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So Jesus, show us some compassion. Show us mercy. We need help. Verse 31, the crowd rebuked them 
and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So the crowd rebukes them. Basically, shame on you for thinking, you know, you could get Jesus' attention or you were that important. The crowd, the crowd keeps telling them to be quiet. You know, we don't want to hear from people like you. And these two guys just get louder and louder. They get, like, more obnoxious. Because they have a pretty good sense that in all likelihood, this will be their only chance to encounter Jesus, to have his attention. And so, man, they just go for it. Here's my question. What is Jesus going to do when he sees not just one person, but two people on the side of the road who are in need? Uh, when he himself has he himself has told this parable, right, about the good Samaritan who sees someone. Where's the the injured man on the side of the road. Uh, by the way, where is Jesus in this story? He's in Jericho where the man in the parable was headed. It's kind of interesting. Um, Jesus defined neighbor as anyone in need in front of you. So, yeah, Jesus kind of has to do something, doesn't he, <laughs> after all that? Verse 32, Jesus stopped and called them. He notices these two men. He sees them when pretty much everyone else was trying to move on or pretend like they didn't exist. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So compassion in this instance moves Jesus to, to physically heal them. Um, there are all kinds of examples in the Gospels of Jesus' compassion, essentially motivating him, moving him to perform some kind of a miracle. There's the scene in Mark chapter 1 where a leper comes to Jesus, somebody that nobody wanted to touch or be around, and the, and the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, if I'm willing, of course I'm willing, touches the man, cleanses him, sends him away healed. In Mark 9... Jesus has compassion on the tormented son of a desperate father. He can't get help anywhere else. The disciples had failed miserably at delivering this boy. And the father says to Jesus, but if you, Jesus, can do anything, please have mercy. Have compassion. And Jesus is like, if? If I can do anything? Everything is possible for those who believe. And, and just like that, the boy's healed. In Luke 7, there's a, a widow, and she's, she's weeping over the loss of her son. And it's a really, actually, a tender, compassionate moment. Luke says, when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. He was moved with compassion. And he said, don't cry. And he restored her loss. So we see Jesus. He's not someone who just talks about it. He's like the most compassionate person who ever lived. And here we are. As his followers, we're called to be like him. We're called to do what he did. Um, he's our model for showing compassion. Can I point a, out a couple problems with that? Here's the problem. What, what did Jesus do? Well, he would go into a town, for example, and all the sick people would line up at the door, out the door, down the street. He'd stay up all night healing them, touching them. Sometimes they were alive when he did that. Sometimes they were dead and they were alive after he did that. Uh, he'd heal people. Um, 
And again, the issue that I kind of have is, or the question at least, is it doesn't seem to work like that for me. I'm not Jesus. I've, I've never performed a miracle that I know of. Uh, I mean, if I could just roam the hallways of the hospital, you're healed, you're done, you can go. You don't need that wheelchair anymore. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, I'd love to show compassion the way Jesus shows compassion. And so it's a little bit hard sometimes to relate to Jesus and, and how do I apply this? And so a lot of times what we'll do with, with stories like this is we'll say, well, of course, I'm not Jesus. Um, but what I can do is, is notice Jesus stopped. He's available, right? He's, he, he's interruptible, um, which is true. But to be honest, that's even a little bit hard for me to relate to because Jesus was a wandering, itinerant, homeless rabbi. That was basically his job. He had no possessions, not really any money. He had no real schedule. He could just go on to the next place uh, whenever he felt like it. Just kind of watching the birds of the air, the lilies, thinking, I, you know, I could teach on this someday. <laughs> Consider the birds of the air. I mean, that's, he, he was never married. He had no kids. He had no bills. He didn't have to text people or respond to emails or keep track of receipts or do chores or any of these things. Of course he was available. He, the guy was as free as a bird. I mean, if, if Jesus like had a, a spouse or had, a, had kids or a family or many of the responsibilities that you have, and he acted like this, we would say that it's a different, whole different thing, right? That would be actually a problem. So do you see this tension? We all want to be moved with compassion, but what does it look like for me in my life with my family or my responsibilities? I was thinking this week about, um, I don't know how many of you know the story of Bob Pierce, who started in the 1950s an organization called World Vision, one of the biggest humanitarian aid organizations um, doing all kinds of compassion work in almost every country on earth. It's a remarkable, remarkable story what they're doing. Well, Bob got so into this, so into it, and it's kind of the, the darker side of the whole story, and you can read about it in articles online, but he got so into it, he would travel for 10, 11 months out of the year. Just, like, not come home. He had a wife, and he had kids, and people were like, hey, Bob, what about your family? And, and he famously or infamously at one point said, I'm going to take care of God's little lambs out here, and I'll trust God to take care of my little lambs at home. And the whole thing, it just, at one point, his daughter in later adolescent years called him, and she's having problems and wanted him to come home, and he said he couldn't. And she tried to, ended, ended up trying to take her own life, and it was all this. And then a year later, she did do that. And his family just blew up. And it, they, he got divorced, and his kids, they never talked ever again until years and years later, four days before his death, they had a, a night together where they tried to kind of repair what had been damaged. So again, what does it mean for us to show compassion? Um, I think a better question is not what... What would Jesus do? Because he wouldn't do what I would do. He doesn't have my life. A better question is, what would Jesus do if he were living your life with your responsibilities, with your commitments, with your opportunities, your financial situation? 
I think what I felt led just in preparing this week is um, it's so easy with this topic. It's so easy when you hear, we're doing a series on compassion. Okay, here we go. Get ready to feel bad. I'm ready. In fact, I grew up in a church tradition where feeling bad actually feels kind of good because I feel like I was at church. So bring it on, and I'll feel a little bit bad, and I'll think about maybe doing something different. And then at the end of the day, I won't, but I'll feel like I was at church at least. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help. And so I just, can I give you a break today from the whole, the whole uh, you're not doing enough? And that might be true. You might not be, I'm, maybe I'm not doing enough. Um, but what does that even mean? And what is enough? And who decides that? And compared to who? And I just think it's actually the wrong question. Um, I think this is true of most, if not all of us in this room. You really are kind, loving, compassionate people. Or at the very least, you want to be. I mean, you love people. You do. You care about your friends. You care about your neighbors, um, as in your literal neighbors. I think you also care about your neighbors as Jesus defines them, people in need in front of you. I believe many of you, the majority of you, have a heart for the poor the oppressed, the needy, and the vulnerable. I, I actually believe you care. I believe you believe that I care. How about that? I think what happens to a lot of us is, what happens to me sometimes is you see the need, you turn on the news, you really think about the need in the world. It's just overwhelming. Think about people, um, kids who are going hungry. Think about injustice. Oppression. You think about even the earthquake this week in, in a place like Turkey and, and Syria and the human suffering. Yeah, there's the world out there and that's really overwhelming. And then there's here, there's this community. The underprivileged and the, the devastating effects of, of addiction and racial issues and mental health issues and, and hopelessness. And last but not least, people who don't know Jesus. I mean, I could put up Four or five pictures of just human suffering that would make us all just go, that's so overwhelming, that's so depressing. Like, where do I begin? I love God. I love people. I follow a Jesus who cares about the poor and the oppressed and the vulnerable. What can I do? Don't feel like I'm making a difference. Don't feel like I'm making a dent. We can end up in the face of unrelenting heartbreaking need, we can end up feeling kind of numb um, because it feels like too much. And so again, back to this story. I want to help. I want to show compassion like Jesus. If I'm here in this moment, I'm feeling this. I just don't know how to help him. Um, it doesn't feel like I can do much. I do find it interesting, all of that said, that Jesus doesn't just demonstrate compassion by healing. He doesn't just show compassion by performing miracles, although he does do that many times. Compassion is actually much more multifaceted than we sometimes think. Jesus demonstrates a wider range than just the miraculous. For example, sometimes Jesus' compassion leads him to simply meet really ordinary, practical, physical needs. In Matthew 15, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. There's this whole crowd of people. 
They've already been with me three days and, and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Jesus cared about people eating. Just a, a really basic human need, not really all that spiritual. Yes, the multiplication of food was a, was a miracle, but I'm convinced that had you been there, had you been one of the people in the crowd just passing the basket of food, it just would have felt like, I think Jesus cares enough about me to make sure we have something to eat. Uh, the Samaritan, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he shows his neighbor love, compassion by giving time, medical attention, actually financial assistance, even transportation, all meeting just tangible physical needs. There's no miracles at all in the Good Samaritan. No miracles. Sometimes Jesus' compassion moves him to teach, to encourage. In Mark 6, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How does he respond? He began teaching them many things, giving them encouragement, giving them wisdom, guidance, direction. He lifts them up with his words. You think about how the, the whole Sermon on the Mount began with the Beatitudes. If all these people, many of whom are down and out, many of whom are, are suffering, poor, vulnerable, and Jesus begins the whole thing by saying, blessed are the poor. In Luke's version, it doesn't even say in spirit. It just says, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Good news if that's you, for you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They're going, yeah, that's us. We don't have anything. And Jesus goes, for you will inherit the earth. He, for Jesus, showing compassion sometimes is, is teaching. It's encouraging. Other times Jesus shows compassion by joining someone in their grief. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to this village where he's heard his friend Lazarus has died. And everyone's upset. Everyone's distraught, and Jesus gets there, and there's this line that gets repeated. Jesus deeply moved in his spirit, or that verse you memorized maybe for Sunday school credit. Jesus wept. He just cried. And by the way, dignifying once and for all our tears, our grief. I mean, sometimes when we don't know what else to do, we can join someone in that. That's compassion. There are times when Jesus shows compassion by just listening to someone's story. Like the woman at the well. He sees, he sees her. And that led him to treat her differently than she was used to being treated. With dignity. With respect. He saw her as someone of worth. Who actually had something to offer him. Which nobody had ever done that. He listens to people's stories. As an act of compassion. Sometimes, on at least one occasion, Jesus' compassion uh, leads him to remind us to pray. Again, another crowd scene in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, we tend to hear this under, like, the missions or evangelism heading, but more broadly than that, Jesus sees a crowd of people in need, physically, spiritually, they're harassed, they're helpless, you name it, and Jesus, in a response of compassion, moved with compassion, says, hey, pray, 
ask God to, to send people to help them, to help meet these needs. Interestingly, right after this in, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, the disciples get sent out. So in other words, in Matthew 9, Jesus says, hey, pray to God to help these people. And the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, we did that. And then Jesus goes, would you look at that? The Lord has decided to send you to help meet this need. I mean, when you pray, sometimes you, you find that out. The answer is actually you. You have a role to play in meeting that need. But all that to say, don't underestimate prayer as a tangible response, demonstration of compassion. That's not always all that we're called to do. But that's not, according to Jesus, that's not doing nothing. The point is, when it comes to Jesus and compassion, that compassion looks differently in each case. There's no one size fits all. There's no formula. Um, most of these other categories, wh whether it's Jesus listening to a story or joining someone in their grief or encouraging or talking about prayer, they're not actually all that dramatic. Jesus simply sees the person. He sees the whole person, and he responds accordingly, physical, spiritual, emotional needs. The way that he shows compassion, I, I'm just trying to show you, and all of us, is that it's different. Depending on the situation, it's actually more personal. It's actually a lot more personal than I want compassion to be. <laughs> I want to just be able to kind of write a check or do a Saturday deal for a few hours and, and that's it. It's a lot more personal. Even with the blind men in the story, Jesus calls them and then asks them, what do you want me to do? That's either one of the most insensitive questions of all time, or he's really, really committed to seeing the person in front of him, to not overstepping. He doesn't assume. He doesn't make the choice for them. He honors their dignity. I think they make a good choice in saying we want our sight. But you get the sense that had he said, had they asked for something else, Jesus would have honored that choice as well. Jesus saw the whole person. He didn't see a cause or a project. So I want to end today and, and move into communion with three questions. I think three questions that really get at how does Jesus model compassion for us in a way that we as regular followers of him can emulate. In other words, how are we to think about, how are we to show compassion that's different as a result of following him? I think the first question is this, and I'm going to give it to you, then I'm going to change it. God, where are you leading me to show compassion? But we see with Jesus, usually it's not a where or a what, it's a who. Who are you leading me to show compassion too. And I get that's not grammatically correct. Who are you leading me to show compassion to? Again, Jesus' approach to compassion, I think, is easier and harder. I want a, a, a big cause. I want a project. I want to change the world. You know, give me something to do. And I think oftentimes Jesus is like, here is another human being. Here's another person to be in relationship with. Let's start with this one person. Jesus says in Matthew 9, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what, 
go and learn what this means. And he quotes a passage from the Old Testament, Hosea. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that reference to sacrifice, it's like Old Testament sacrifices where you go, you make the offering, you do the thing, and you're good. And Jesus says, no, I want mercy. That's what God had said. Well, that implies a relationship. That implies compassion. That implies helping another person. We can't do that on our own. And so, God, who are you leading me to show compassion to? See, the question is not, am I doing enough? What's enough? There's always more I could be doing. The question is, am I doing what God is asking me to do? Jesus doesn't do it all. He doesn't heal everyone. I mean, right out of the gate in Mark chapter 1, he stays up all night, one of those scenes where he's at a house, healing people, delivering people all night. He sneaks away in the morning. The disciples find him. They say, everyone is looking for you. Like, hey, we got something going here. There's a lot of need. We could add a, a second night to the venue and kind of just kind of parlay this thing into a longer deal. And Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. I can't, I'm not called to do everything here. I'm called to something else. He expresses no guilt over this. I think because Jesus, he, he says in John, I only do what I see my father doing. Nothing more, nothing less. And so for us, it, it means listening to God. That's where compassion and our response begins. Who are you leading me to? Who are you calling me to? It may start as a result of praying for a need that you have that's just on your heart. And God has put that there. And as you pray, and as you say, God, would you send someone to meet this need? Maybe God says to you and me, I want you to play a role in that. By the way, the who here? Maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's the vulnerable. It could also be a, a sick spouse. Remember the Bob Pierce story? It could be a family member in need. And what a shame it would be to, to neglect that opportunity to show compassion with the people who matter most because you're out doing great things for God. Number two, second question. Are you ready? Where do I have room to learn? Where do I need to maybe grow or change? One of the things about Jesus, because he was out going from place to place and because 99% of the world at that time was poor um, and in rough, rough situations, um, it made his natural routine, it made it much more natural for people to encounter people who were different than him. To run into people who were, again, harassed or helpless or grieving or the poor or the lame or whatever. That happened very naturally for Jesus. It doesn't happen as naturally for many of us. There's that line in the story where it says, The crowd rebuked these two men and told them to be quiet. To that I would say, we would never do that. I don't think anybody in this room would, would do that. The problem is, for many of us, we actually don't have to hear these cries in the first place, that we can actually live such insulated lives that we don't have to be bothered. We would never do this, but we don't have to be bothered with it 
in many cases, to begin with. John Wesley, who could say stuff like this, um, and so I can't say it, it would be very offensive, but he can say it. It says, one great reason why the rich in general have so little sympathy for the poor is because they so seldom visit them. Hence it is that one part of the world does not know what the other suffers. Many of them do not know because they do not care to know. They keep out of the way of knowing it. And then plead their voluntary ignorance as an excuse for their hardness of heart. That phrase, voluntary ignorance. I don't know, there's stuff I just, I don't know that I want to know. Because then I got to, you know, deal with that. Uh, we can live insulated lives. We can have prejudices. We can have biases. I mean, if you've ever had this thought when you see somebody with a sign, right? Well, how about you get a job? Or you think, boy, if I lost my job, I'd go right out tomorrow and I'd get another one. Just like that. Problem solved. Without thinking about the fact that you have transportation. You've got childcare figured out. You have money to go spend two or three hundred dollars on new clothes that the job requires, and on and on. I guarantee you, in any area, whether it's poverty or addiction or racial justice or whatever it is, there's things for all of us to learn if we're willing, if we have that humility. <laughs> I was in Scotland a couple years ago, or I guess five years ago, and because, again, I was wandering around, I was on my sabbatical, and stuff happens when you're wandering around, as Jesus can. And I, I met this homeless guy named Richard, and he was standing outside of this pub, and he was watching the soccer, the football, and he loved, loved football. All he wanted to do was get to the Ukraine for one of the World Cup matches back then or whatever. But interesting guy, really super smart, and we, we, we hung out a few times. I went and did the, the monastery stuff that I was doing, came back to... Edinburgh, found him again on the street, and we, you know, exchanged emails and email addresses and all that, and before I left, I reached in my pocket, and I had, um, what's their money called, pounds, like, what's the change, whatever the change is called, euros, maybe they use euros, I can't remember, they do, um, pull it out, and I, I hand him the equivalent of like four or five dollars in change, and you know what he did, he, he mocked me. He goes, oh, hey, this guy's handing out money. And he starts yelling out in the street. Like, he, this guy's got money. He's handing out money. And he's, he's kind of making fun of me. And this other guy, the other homeless guy walks by and he goes, Here, give it to him or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, maybe I have something to learn. Maybe money's not what this guy really needs or wants. I've learned a lot in this area from our friends at Food for the Hungry and in Nicaragua about listening to people, that sometimes what I think someone needs is not what they actually need. I mean, Jesus himself says, what do you want? He knows everything, and he has the humility to ask, to honor the other person. You talk to our friends at, at Avondale or our friends with, with Urban Light CDC or the 812 Coalition or whatever, there are, I promise you, things that we can all learn. Maybe our perspective needs to change. And then lastly, what can I do to help? It's essentially what the Samaritan does, right? Uh, not how can I solve all the problems for all time. No, what can I do to help in this situation for this person? 
What can I do to help? I want to encourage you, do not underestimate a simple act of compassion. Maybe it's not going to make a difference in the whole world. Maybe it's, no, I can't do this for every single person in these situations. But it's in this moment with my resources, with this person that, that God has led me to, this cause, this whatever it is, with my little bit of time, with my resources, what can I do to help? And again, for those of us who have that kind of guilt, uh, overextending ourselves out of guilt tendency, the good Samaritan doesn't do it all. He does what he can. He entrusts the man to the innkeeper after that to do what he can't do. He doesn't even try to be the best Samaritan. <laughs> Just good what he's been given to do. As we move on uh, next week, um, it's, it is the same for us. We're not called to be lone good Samaritans all on our own. We're called to do this together as a church, and we're going to focus on that for the last part of this. But if you will begin asking this, these questions in your family, where you work, in your neighborhood, with your friends, downtown Muncie, if we'll begin asking these questions, um, I think they're a starting point to bridge the gap to what God is inviting us to do. It may be, especially that last one, the question that enables you and empowers you to impact someone else's life. As we celebrate communion today, one more thing I want to mention about this story with the blind men. You know, you read that story, or at least I do, and who do you identify with most often as you read that? Kind of like Jesus or the like person that's helping. I find that interesting because I do the same thing. It's easy to imagine that in that story that, you know, we're the ones that are here to help. And I think the truth is, the truth is we're actually the, the blind men or women. That while we were still sinners, Jesus laid down his life for us. Um, as, we, as we go to communion, though, here's, here's what I want to leave us with. I think it's really easy to imagine that Jesus has compassion for everybody else but me. He's got compassion for those people. He's got compassion for them. It's harder for me, for me personally to believe he, has, he cares about what I'm going through, that he actually sees my need or my suffering. Even saying that, I go, well, my suffering's not as, it's not as big. You know, you do the comparison thing. It doesn't matter. Jesus sees it. He cares. He's moved to be with us. Even if he doesn't answer our prayer the way that we want him to, he sees us. And so maybe a, a simple prayer um, as we come to the table this morning is, is to hear Jesus say to us, what do you want me to do for you? What would you like me to do? I see you. I'm with you. You have unimaginable, immeasurable worth and value to me. I care about you. And I invite you to bring that to him and just to receive that, to actually receive the compassion, the love, the care of Jesus. There's that line in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, um, I'll pull it up, chapter 3, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So my prayer this morning is that we could make space to receive that comfort ourselves, to receive the compassion from the Father of compassion and to experience that and to know it um, in this moment together. I want to invite our volunteers to come forward. And Tyler, you can come back up. We have stations on the front here, both sides of the front and in the back two corners. And I want to pray, and then you'll be invited to come to a station as you feel led or ready to take a piece of bread and to dip it in the cup and to participate that way. Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help. Um, pray that you would do a deep work in each one of us in this area of compassion. Lord, that you would help us to, to come to you and to ask, who are you leading us to? And what does that look like? And yeah, Lord, that might cost us, um, but we're following you. We want to say yes to you. Lord, I pray that you would free us up from feeling like we have to be the, the Messiah. We have to do everything for everyone. Um, pray that there would be just a peace that comes from knowing that to the best of our ability, we're, we're doing what you've given us to do. We're being faithful. Uh, Lord, we ask for wisdom. Lord, help us to know how we can help uh, the person that's in front of us, that area, that, that need, whatever it is. And Father, as we come to the table this morning, we recognize that you laid down your life for us because of your love. That you are the father of all compassion and that you want to comfort us. And so Lord, we come to the table with our need that illness, that relationship tension, that family dynamic that's just wrecking us, um, the anxiety that we're feeling. And we offer that to you. And we ask that you would, that you would meet us in this time. Father, I pray that each person in here, that we would experience being seen by you in our weakness uh, in our difficulty, in our suffering. That we could experience your love and compassion. And out of that experience, have something to give to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.